2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 is what we're looking at and have been looking at for a few weeks. Let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you today, the church in one foundation, union with the God three in one. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for drawing us this day. Thank you so much for just the privilege of hearing your book. Father, for the privilege of worshiping in spirit and in truth, for the privilege of being in the union of the saints and the communion of fellowship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may you this day, this moment, through the power of your spirit, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us souls receptive to your truth, that we may, as Paul looked at this, say thank you, Lord, for the amazing things that you have done, Father, for the amazing things that you are doing. And Father, for the amazing things you will do. We praise you and we thank you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians, verse 12. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma from death to death, to the other, aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. This is an amazing text because if you look at your outline, you'll see I called it the disheartened restoration. And and I'm sure that everybody in this room at some point has been disheartened. When I look at it in the context of this whole letter, this letter is ministry. And I will warn you ahead of time, if you are saved, you are in the ministry. You don't go to school and become a minister. You are a minister now. And it does not, it is not gender based. You know, so uh, you can only be a man. No. If you're saved, you're a minister, male or female. If you're not male or female, then you're not a minister. And it also makes you a little odd. But anyway, we won't go there. All right. But I, I share that because you have a ministry. Every single one of you have a ministry. All right. And I will tell you ahead of time, from experience and from my time with my brother Paul, there will be times in your ministry you will be disheartened. And there are times that when you get into that place, that as Paul says here, um, I have no rest in my spirit. And, and, and I have seen so many saints who get disheartened, who get frustrated, who feel things just ain't going right. You're looking at a guy right here who's got almost five years in two churches, all right? 18 months in Corinth, three years in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, he got run out of town in a riot. That sounds successful, doesn't it? You know, uh, my church was flourishing so well. My church growth program was going so good that the city rioted and run me out of town. Okay? You have the church in Corinth that he'd been there 18 months, 
in, and uh, they had only perverted the Lord's table. They had perverted the um, spiritual gifts. They had perverted the doctrine of the resurrection. They had perverted uh, the sanctity of marriage. They had perverted the sanctity of singleness. They had just perverted and fill in the blank. Okay, and so you would have to say that as a minister, what's the point? <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I am convinced that most of us in this room right now have no idea the heartache that he refers to in verses 12 and 13. Okay, because if we get frustrated with our ministry, we'll just start another church. Or we'll go to another church or we'll fill in the blank. I just won't go to church, you know. I'll, I'll minister, you know, some other way. And that's what we do. And yet the Apostle Paul said, you know what? There is nothing else but the church. I had this discussion this week with some pastors. And uh, they, they said, that it seems like you have almost a, 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 an animosity toward parachurch organizations. And I said, I don't have an animosity towards parachurch organizations. He says, really? And I said, no. They're just not biblical. And you, you could have heard a pin drop. Why? He said, I will build my parachurch organization. And the abode of the dead will not stop it. No. I will build my church. I think uh, parachurch organizations are a product of pride. And if you'd like to discuss it later, we can. But you're going to be hard-pressed to give me the biblical text for parachurch organizations. Sorry. The Apostle Paul here is dealing with the body of Christ and that his thankfulness is that even as disheartened and as sick as I am, I can instantaneously say, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always. One of the things that happens to you and I, and I, well, maybe not you. One of the things that happens to me is I forget my privileges. I have the privilege of being led by the sovereign God of all of existence who leads me always in all things. Regardless what it looks like, he's still leading. It's funny because you've heard the phrase that is used sometimes. You know, I I turn my back on the Lord. Really? (laughs) How do you turn your back on omnipresence? I mean, if he's everywhere all at once, if I'm looking this way, he's there. If I turn this way, he's there. If I turn this way, he is there. And if I turn my back on him over there, he is there. But other than that, I turn my back on him. Really? <laughs> I think when I hear we people say that, he must get tickled. <laughs> they think I can't see him. <laughs> That, that's just funny. Do you understand? He sees the front of your head, the side of your head, the top of your head, and the back of your head all at the same time. <laughs> so regardless where you think you're going to turn it. I mean, Psalm 139, David said, guess what? If I go to Sheol, 
That's death. Guess what? I'm there. <laughs> All right. So we are led by a sovereign God who leads us always only in all things. Other than that, you're out on your own. There you go. But not only does he lead us, he gives us victory, triumph in Christ always. Now, you may feel like you've lost a few battles. I'm sure that there's a handful of you in this room who have shared their faith, have poured your life into somebody only to have them walk away. Right? And you feel like you were defeated. I lost. No, you didn't. The word of God goes forth and does what? Accomplishes exactly what God sent it for. You just have, you know, I've had people try to describe, you know, what is, you know, being the spiritual leader, the guide, the, the, the pastor, what is that like? And I said, it's like being a foghorn. And they said, well, I thought it was more than that. Nope. <laughs> I just build out what God gave me and hope you hear. If not, you could hit the rocks. All right. I, I mean, it, it's, it's my best description is a table waiter. God prepares the message all week. I take it out, and set it on the table. I can't even make you eat. See? Pastor's a little overrated, isn't it? <laughs> they thought, well, I thought there was more to it than that. No. On my good days, I'm a foghorn. On my better days, I'm a table waiter. That's it. But you know what? Every time I have the privilege of preaching Christ, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's with a coworker, whether it is from the pulpit, whether it is in another church, even when the message goes out online, you know what? I have victory in Christ. In Christ. It's kind of amazing if you really think about it. Because the third thing is, is that I have the privilege and you have the privilege as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to influence people. And if you're really honest with yourself, this small congregation has actually had global impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you think about it. And I'm not talking about, you know, we gave a bunch of money to the Baptists and we sent some guy named Bob, who's a missionary to wherever, Estonia. I don't know why I said Estonia. I just thought about it. Okay? You and I have had an impact. Pastor Paul has been here. Pastor Philip has been here. Pastor Valeri. Okay? Um, we get letters. I, you know, I, I read these letters to you guys. These people know me. They have seen me. I have pictures of them in their houses of prayer that you and I are part of that ministry. I don't do this by myself. You know, I, I really don't. When I go, if I travel anywhere to do anything, it is us. It is by our union in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we do it, we have the ability to influence. Then it goes in beyond that. You guys have people, neighbors, co-workers, that your lives are the sweet aroma of Christ to those people. You know, I, I don't remember who said it, but it says, you know what? Wherever you go, preach the word. And if you have to, use words. Okay, and you know what? 
I, I have watched this church over the years and many of you, and I have seen that, and it brings great joy to my heart to know that your lives preach the word. Your lives have changed. Which brings me to the fourth thing, verses four, 15 and 16. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma of death to death. To the other is the aroma of life to life. Who's adequate for this? Who, who, who can do that? Okay, now, I, you've got to use Paul's picture of this parade. This triumph, this parade to celebrate this general and his armor and, and army and his complete oppression and conquer of a, an area that he doesn't need to even leave troops in it. Anymore, you know, I, I seen this week that we ha- our last combat unit has pulled out of Iraq, okay, and you know we we don't have any more combat, you know, units in Iraq, and that's funny because I, I thought that was fascinating because nobody really hip hip hooray or anything like that. It's sort of odd to me. And then they said, but we left fifty thousand troops there. How would you like to be that fifty thousand carrying around a pack and a rifle saying you're not a combat troop? <laughs> <laughs> then why is everybody shooting at me? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Well, these people are trainers. Well, that'd be like saying I'm leaving a bunch of school teachers in Iraq and the army is gone. I don't think so. All right. But this triumphant parade that the apostle Paul has in his mind when he's thinking about this is that this victory was so complete. I don't even need to leave trainers there. This is now part of our kingdom, our empire. And it would start with, of course, the politicians would be first. Okay. After that would come the high priest and he would have the white bull that would be slaughtered to the God of Jupiter, the God of war. Behind that would be the other priest and they would carry these incense Sensors, huge things that gave off all of this smoke. And the whole time this parade is going on, you would have all of these women throwing garlands of flowers out on the street that could be up to a foot deep. And as you walked on it, you would crush those petals and that sweet aroma of those crushed petals would be rising throughout the city along with the incense. And he says that our influence is such that the whole city of Rome would smell of the incense and the flowers. Behind the priest would be these prisoners of the vanquished. And they would smell that. They would smell the incense. They would smell the crushed flowers. Then right behind that would be the troops who conquered them. Same smell, same sweet aroma. If you're in the troops who were the victors, that would just like, man, does that smell good? If you were in chains headed for prison and execution, you would say, man, does that stink. Still the same aroma. But look what he says here. Not only does this privilege of influence through humanity we have a part of, but it says here, we are the fragrance of Christ to God. To God. We have the privilege of pleasing 
God in Christ. Did you let that sink in for a second? We have the privilege of pleasing God in Christ. We have this influence on humanity. Absolutely. But we also have a fragrance of Christ to God. We are not just the fragrance of Christ to mankind. See, I think about this because in this big parade that they had, all right, huge thing. I mean, absolutely huge. There's only about four or five of them ever recorded in history. Huge parades. They wind through the streets, the wide boulevards of Rome, but they have a place that they're headed. And they head for the high throne of Caesar. And this whole procession comes to the emperor, the great emperor, on his throne in the capital. That's where the parade ends. And yet throughout the whole city, the fragrance of this incense, the fragrance of these flowers would be lofting up through the air that all of Rome would smell it. A couple of years ago, I was in Russia on May the 9th. And I was in Moscow, actually. And that is their victory over Germany celebration. They call it May Day. Okay. I was there for the first time since the fall of communism when they opened Red Square and the soldiers all paraded through town. You know how they... Remember you used to see it in the Cold War, they'd run all their tanks and missiles and things through Red Square. Well, they had, hadn't done that since the fall of socialism. Well, I was there when they did it again. I mean, dude, you look up, they got fighter planes and helicopters. And, and then it dawned on me, everything shut down in town. Now listen... Moscow only has 35 million people in it. Okay? That's, that's more than it's in Colorado. And they shut everything down. You can't get a cab. You can't get a bus. You can't even ride the subway. It is all stopped. Why? We are celebrating our victory over Germany. And you would see these guys in their old World War II uniforms with their wives. Or their wives would be the widows of these soldiers. And they would have these huge bundles of flowers as they just walked around the city. People would just be hopping flowers to them and, you know, giving them something to drink. And, and just they were treated as royalty. And you would see these guys. I remember seeing this little bitty Russian guy. I bet he wasn't that tall. And you could, he had one of them big hats on. Yeah, you have to know the Russian officer hats on. It's, I mean, it's suckers like an umbrella. And he's got this bundle of roses that all you can see is his eyes and this big old hat. And he just, and I was like, dude, somebody get him a wagon. And yet you could smell the flowers, the carnations and roses throughout the city. That's what I think about when I read about this triumph. This whole city is lit up and you could smell it 
throughout the city. And they're all headed toward the capital. This parade is headed toward the capital where the emperor of the Roman Empire would greet the victors and judge the vanquished. See, it was not only sweet to the victorious troops, you know, who had been the means by which the smell of victory had come to pass. But it was very sweet to the emperor himself. See, and God is pictured as smelling this fragrance as it rises, as we influence humanity with the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus Christ. See, I thought about this. I don't really, you don't really preach to men and women. Okay, now you say, well, I know preacher. Now listen, I'm talking about proclaiming. Sharing my faith is proclaiming. You're doing it before God. I remember uh, it's been a number of years ago as I was going through Olford Institute. And uh, I had to preach in front of Stephen Olford. Okay, and uh, there was 11 of us. We were going to take a couple of days and we all had to d- deliver a message. Okay, and it's funny because everybody there had, you know, we, we call them sugar sticks. This is a message I preached that I did a real good job on, so that's the one I will preach. Well, I am, maybe I'm just not that organized. Or maybe I'm still looking for my first good message. <laughs> maybe that's my problem. But I just preached something I'd been studying, and I kind of laid it out, and this is what I'll preach on. Okay? And so they said, well, we're going to draw straws on who goes first and all the rest of it. I said, I'm first. And everybody just stunned look. They said, you're going to go first? I said, yep. They said, why? I said, you really think I want to prolong this? <laughs> let's get this thing done. I'll go sit in the swimming pool while the rest of you guys sweat it out. All right. And uh, I was talking to a couple of the ladies who worked there, receptionists and bookkeepers and stuff like that. And, and, and they said, uh, they said, you know, we're praying for you. And I was like, you need to get on your knees hard and really pray hard for me. And they said, well, are you nervous? And I said, nervous. Yeah. I'm going to preach in front of 10 other pastors and Two guys have doctorates in expositional preaching. No, I'm not nervous. And they said, well, I, they, they looked at me and this one elderly woman puts her hand on me. She says, Terry, 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 every Sunday morning you preach before Christ and God the Father. And I said, yeah, but you don't see him sitting there taking notes. (laughs) That's true. When you share, it is before God. Whether it is with your child, your spouse, your co-worker, whether it's with somebody in the grossly line, you're doing it before God. And it is the aroma of Christ unto God. And you think that you don't have privilege? I remember, it's been a few years ago, I met with a Palestinian elder. It's, it's a long story. And uh, he was an elder in the West Bank. And uh, I got to talk to him because uh, his brother was a, uh, my bus driver. <laughs> so he says, I want you to meet my brother. And I was like, all right. 
So he says he's an elder with the Palestinian Authority. And I was like, well, that's fine. So I walk in there. And I walk up to him. And I said, how are you doing, Terry? And he says, I need you to get a message to President Bush. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I was planning on having a barbecue with him as soon as I got back. But uh, sure, what would you like me to tell him? You know? But it was like, yeah, I see the president, you know, just quarterly. You know, if he cruises through Texas by way of Colorado, I happen, we go out to it for a burger. Although we give men the gospel, it is God who is the most important of our audience. We offer spiritual sacrifices unto God, don't we? Every time you share your faith, wherever the preacher's mission the, the proclaimer's mission advances. Wherever the preacher, the proclaimer is faithful and allows the manifestation of the knowledge of Christ comes through that individual. It is the sweet aroma unto God the Father. That sweet aroma ascends to the throne of God. And guess what? It's pleasing to him. This was the passion of the Apostle Paul in chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to what? Be pleasing to him. Have you ever thought about that? As you go through the day-to-day grind of life, Have you ever thought that this day-to-day grind, is this pleasing to him? Do we have that as our ambition? See, that's all Paul ever wanted. And that's the irony of this text is because he says, a door for the gospel was opened in Christ in Troas, but I had no rest in my spirit. But thanks be to God. He said, even when I walked away from an open door, I could stop and say, God has me in this triumphal parade. I remember Paul in letter to the Galatians. Do I sound like a man pleaser? Did Paul sound like a man pleaser? I was going to say if he did, he didn't do it very well. As we preach the knowledge of Christ, it is spread like sweet fragrance all along the way as we go. And men can smell it. Men can smell it. And then it rises to God as well. And that's when you start understanding terms like, well done, true and faithful servant. See, ministry has been corrupted and perverted in our country. See, it's not on results. It's not on numbers. It's not on popularity. It's not on the size of the church. It is that God is to be pleased with the fragrance of the message. Am I giving the knowledge of Christ? Because it's true, um, and it's pure, and it's faithfully proclaimed. It's the sweet aroma 
of Christ to men and to God. Now, he says here, it's the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's interesting. It's an interesting phrase. I, I think about that. It's an interesting phrase. Um, we t- he touched on it, uh, Paul did earlier, uh, when we read uh, Romans 9. Those who are being saved, present participle, those who are headed for faith, they are headed for the final glorification. But it's also a present participle in those who are perishing. Those who are headed to eternal separation from God. We would call it damnation. There's another dimension to this fragrance I want you to think about for a second. See, this smell of these incense censers and, and these flower petals that are being trampled underfoot is a smell of victory in that parade. When we preach the knowledge of Christ, do you realize that you are only preaching the smell of victory to those who are being Saved. But that same smell, same incense, the same fragrance of them flowers, the same understanding of the knowledge of Christ to the prisoners headed to prison, to execution, would be the smell of death, wouldn't it? It really wouldn't make them that happy. You know? It just just really wouldn't make them that happy. When we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim the truth, when we proclaim the word of God, as John Calvin says, quote, the force of the gospel is such that it is never preached in vain. It is effectual, leading either to life or to death, unquote. Well, John guy, he's pretty smart, eh? See, that's what... Paul explains it there in verse 16. See, one is the aroma of death to death. The other, it is the aroma of life to life. See, Paul, understanding his Hebrew background and Hebrew writings, uh, emphasis is always made in, in the effect of the preachers and their proclaiming. What do they do? See, one is the aroma of death to death. To those who reject. Same message. The same message that Christ died for your sins. The same message that you must repent and believe. Same message. It's a message of life. You are a sinner. Separated from God. And Christ... In his love, his mercy, and in God's power, paid the penalty for every single one of your sins. That's life to life. 
But if you walk away from that and say, I can handle it or I want to do something else, it is now death to death. It's that simple. It's like 1 Peter 2. To those who believe in Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone, to those who reject, he becomes a stumbling block, a stone of offense. Still the same Christ. Same aroma. The same sweet truth. Same gospel. Brings life and brings death. May I be bold? Do you understand that both please God? What? Mm -hmm. See, he is pleased with the expression of his mercy. I mean, we got these two crosses on the wall and you look at that and we say his mercy. His mercy. You better look at them again. Because that same mercy, that cross, is also his judgment, his wrath. He is pleased for the expression of his mercy. He is also pleased with the expression of his justice. See, if he isn't just, he can't be merciful. Sometimes we don't get the results that we think we should, right? When we share the knowledge of Christ. I know a couple of situations in this fellowship where people have poured themselves into the scripture to pour themselves into people that they knew emphatically were lost only to have them walk away. Sometimes our message isn't as often life to life as we wish it was. I mean, I would like to share the truth with everybody. And as soon as I say it to them, boom, they get saved and they spend eternity with me. And we hang out together and go frolicking through the tulips or whatever. But even when they fail to be the aroma of life to life, it is still pleasing to God that it is death to death. Well, I don't sound like the God I know. Really? You should read the Bible that I have. Same knowledge of Christ can be the aroma of death to death. And what if God, willing to demonstrate himself, his character and his nature, chooses to punish sinners? Do you really want to question that? If you do, would you please do it in another county? (laughs) See, he has no pleasure in the destruction of anyone. Yet it does express who he is. I don't think we very often think of it that way. We have 
the Billy Graham thing going. You share the message and everybody comes forward. And yet Billy Graham, I remember an interview, it's been a couple of years ago, he says he doubted if 1% of the people who have been at his crusades were truly saved. 1%? I'm not even sure I'd be that optimistic, but anyway. <laughs> Why? You know, you're telling me that you're saved because you walk down a flight of stairs at a crusade? I walked down a flight of stairs at the same stadium, but it was trying to get a football, but anyway. We might evaluate our ministry on how many people have come to Christ. God might be evaluating simply on the dual fragrance of the message. See, if you believe that a successful ministry is on how many people have believed in Jesus Christ, then you have to say Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel were all failures. Because they did not compromise on the word, but let's be realistic, they don't seem effective. I would even go as far as saying that Peter probably did a better job of reaching the lost than Christ did. He had 3,000 and 5,000 in two separate messages, and they believed, and they had already crucified Christ. That's pretty effectual. If you look at what Jesus did, he only walked on water, fed, healed, and a few other odds and ends. And at his arrest, one betrayed him, one denied him, (laughs) and the other ten just vanished. Same message. See, when the word of God goes forth, okay, listen, I want you to be specific about this. I'm not talking about cute tales. Okay. When the word of God goes forth, it is the knowledge of Christ. And it always, 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 always accomplishes exactly the purpose that God sent it for. Always. And it might be life. It might be death. You know what? Do you realize the privilege to proclaim that truth? And to please God by doing it? To those who hear and believe, it is life to life. Same aroma to those who reject, it's death to death. Same aroma. The Jews wrote of the Torah, the law. This is a quote from uh, rabbinical teaching. Quote, as a bee reserves her honey for her owner and her sting for all others. Unquote. It's a fascinating thought, don't you think? One rabbi wrote that the words of the Torah are an elixir of life and a deadly poison. The Jewish proverb says, same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Everything you proclaim 
Okay, and I'm talking about the expressing of the knowledge of Christ. Two things are occurring. One, it is giving life to the living. One is sealing the death to the dying. God is at work and God is pleased with both. What a privilege. Have you ever thought about that? What a privilege it is to live a life that pleases God. Render a duty that influences others for Christ. The sweet aroma of saving truth. What a privilege to know that we triumph in Christ. We are always, always victorious in Christ. Listen, if the sweet aroma goes forth, he already has the victory. Regardless of what you believe the response will be, you're still victorious. If you condemn them to eternal damnation from God, you are victorious. If you condemn, commit them into the kingdom of life, you are victorious. And both of them, God is well pleased. And you have the privilege. I have the privilege. And Paul says... This is adequate for such a thing. The privilege to be associated with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The privilege of always being led by Him. These privileges that you see right now, these four, given to each and every one of us who are utterly unworthy. So no matter how disheartened or discouraged you ever get. Thanks be to God. Who always leads us in triumph. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, for the encouragement you've given me through this text. I pray that these ears that you have set this day here. Those who will hear this message later online or whatever, that they will be encouraged and that they can look to the heavens, eyes wide open, knowing that they are the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere they go. And thanks be to you, for Lord, none of us are adequate for such a thing. Thank you, Jesus. Your holy son's name. Amen.